it's not necessarily that you have to be the leader in the top right quadrant of the Gartner map to be successful. I think the top three or four in the quadrant can all be successful. So my advice to early stage startup people is don't worry about that so much. Right? You don't have to be the, the only one. You can be the top three or four, and there's enough room there for success. That's Kathy Wang, CISO at Very Good Security, investor at Silicon Valley CISO Investments, investor at Firebolt Ventures, and a former founder as well. In short, Kathy is the perfect guest to discuss today's topic with me, investing in cybersecurity startups. We've got a detailed conversation underway here, and we hit all the salient points. We talk about the goals, how one gets started, how to go about investing, what to expect, etc. We even get into some of the math and talk about rates of return and minimum buy-ins. It's a very educational conversation, but first I have to give a disclaimer. Nobody on this show is a financial advisor or planner, and nothing said on this show constitutes financial advice. Opinions expressed on this show are just that, opinions, and you should not use them to conduct your financial affairs. Financial matters are tricky and nuanced, and you can lose every bit of money you invest. Consult a licensed expert instead of me or my guests here at the Cyber Ranch. All right, now that I've gotten that out of the way, Kathy, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, Alan. I'm really excited to be here to talk to you. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Yeah, this is going to be a fun conversation. I've been looking forward to this one, and I was really hoping I could find somebody who knew it well, and I'm so grateful that that that, that someone is you. So let's get into it a little bit. Why don't you briefly tell us a bit about your background and a little bit about your day job? Kind of give us a taste of your background with all this. Absolutely. I've been in security now for over 20 years. I love it, or else I wouldn't still be here. And the other thing is I started out in a operational security ops and security research background. And then I went from there to more of a security leadership background. And so by now, I'm a multi-time CISO and investor and advisor. What I'd love to hear about are new approaches to solving existing security problems. That gets us into, I guess, really the first question. And I think you may have alluded a little bit to the answer right there is, I was going to ask you, how did you get into investing in cybersecurity startups? But I think Part of the answer is you're, you're always looking for that cool solution, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as a CISO, I get to see a lot of different ways that ideas maybe fail or mm-hmm. work out. And sometimes it's, it's a technical thing and sometimes it's a process thing. And there's also people. So there's all of those components, but a really big piece of it is the tooling. The tooling is really important. So When we look at that, and we all know that there's no one tool out there that is a silver bullet, there's always gaps. And so part of it is understanding how to figure out where the gaps are and how to cover those gaps with new technology or with a different approach. So getting into investing in cybersecurity is all about having that interest and understanding so that you can make proper decisions about what might be a really good approach that catches on. 
a couple of years ago, I joined an angel syndicate group called SBCI. It's a group of 50 to 60 CISOs. Being part of that group has really made me you know, feel like there's a, a really great perspective that I can learn from collectively from the group, but also about how to invest in and nurture the most promising cybersecurity early stage startups. It's really important to differentiate that I focus on early stage because security startups can go from anywhere seed round to series E, F, and beyond, right? So Mm -hmm. where can we have the most influence? It is at the earlier stage where the founders are looking for that direction and that validation to their approach. So besides SBCI, I'm also involved with other funds, as you mentioned, and I also look at private investments. So I've done some as an individual as well. What a great background with all this. And it's funny, I had, I don't know how, but I had never heard of SBCI until you mentioned it. And I went and looked it up and realized half my friends are members. I'm not kidding. Like I knew a whole ton of people in the roster. I was really surprised. You know, it's an investment for me. And this is, I'll share this with the listeners is, I am a an utter novice in this space, which is why I was so excited to have you on the show to answer some of these questions. So let, let's go ahead and dive into some of this. So I guess the most obvious and easy question to get started with is, what do you look for in a good investment? So, you know, when you look at investments, you have to look at the approach, the team, and how they're going to execute on their vision. So it comes down to those parts, but figuring out where they fit in a pretty saturated market space, which sometimes security is, depending on what you're talking about. And then looking at how will they succeed when this other approach maybe didn't. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely about the team. So I tend to look at who's on the team, what have they done in the past, Have they been able to execute on another startup before? That's not to say that if they haven't, that they won't succeed. It's just that looking for a track record is is part of the due diligence process. Once we figure that out, we also look at their marketing, like go-to-market strategy, how they're going to get the right customers that they're looking for, and what kind of customers are they selling to? This is where being a CISO is super helpful because their customers are CISOs, right? So if you're a CISO, you can say, would I find this approach to be helpful and actionable for my team? And having that perspective goes a long way into figuring out what to invest in. You know the game because you are a CISO. That's that's what I'm hearing is part of that answer. And part of it is, I guess, just a certain amount of experience, not just on your part, but on the teams as well. You mentioned that the people matter and the team matters. And I know uh, a friend of mine who's who's also a, a pretty pretty serious investor has said to me one time, and and I think he was being a bit flippant, but he said, you know, the team is more important than the than the product or or the other stuff. That if you've got a team of founders who have worked together before, have had a successful exit before. You can upgrade your opinion of their investment worthiness, basically, just based on that factor alone. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. But I will also say that there are a lot of very talented founders out there that maybe haven't had a track record. And what I like to do is I like to talk to them specifically and say, you know, what motivated you to found a company? 
And what problem are you trying to solve? And why do you think you're the right person to solve this problem? And how do you plan to get the CISOs on board to buying in to what you're doing? You should always ask these questions because the answers that you get may surprise you, right? And sometimes separating out people who are really serious about executing on a startup versus not sure what they want to do is is a really big piece of that if they don't already have a track record. All right. So you mentioned that you invest through a venture firm, through this angel collective, I guess is probably the right word for SVCI maybe. And that you also do it privately. So I, I guess the question, and this is, you know, for my listeners range from folks who've never done an investment in their lives in cyber to, you know, people like you who've probably done it a, a bunch. Um, but I have to assume there's plenty of us that don't know. So I'm going to ask some really basic questions too. How do you go about the actual investing? Like what are the actual steps and stages? I assume they approach you more often than not, even in the private capacity. Like I, I know I've been approached a couple of times just in the last month about, hey, invest in me, invest in me. Is that how it works for you? Do you go actively looking for it? Like what is stage one, stage two, stage three? What does the actual process of investing look like for you? Yeah, so I definitely do get a lot of people reaching out through LinkedIn or other, you know, emails asking me if I'm interested in hearing about their approach. Mm -hmm. I usually ask for more documentation, maybe a set of slides, maybe a link that they can send that will give me a bit more information because I only have so much time in a day to meet with people, right? So as much as I would like to meet with everyone, I, I don't necessarily have the time. So figuring out upfront what some of the uh, context is, is, is super important. So once I do that, I also will then get into a due diligence process if I see promise there. And the due diligence process, and this is a similar process that SVCI uses as well, is perhaps talking to other CISOs or other companies that have tried their approach, either as a design partner or some other POC kind of scenario. Right, proof of concept. Sometimes the startup is so early stage that there is no POC, right? It's an idea at this point. So when, when it's an idea, you do want to talk to the founder and figure out what is the time frame that you're planning on building out some sort of POC and also what kind of help are you looking for from the security community to help you validate your ideas. And that's a large part of design partnership. And I've done a few of those in my organizations. Sometimes they work out. And sometimes we discover during the design partnership that the idea was really great in theory, but in practice, we were not able to get a great amount of value out of it at this time. It doesn't mean it will never work for someone else. It just didn't work for our particular environment with our tech stack, potentially, right? So all of that work takes time and it takes effort to make it happen. So I think you have to be willing to commit to doing that as an investor because if you're not and you don't have the team or you don't have the time then I don't think you're going to be able to make a good investment decision. 
you get in that early and you go through this process and you do POC and you vet the tech stack and you're, you're applying, what I'm hearing over and over again is you're applying your CISO experience and wisdom and knowledge to this mm-hmm. entire investment process. Each of these steps and stages, your, your CISO brain is definitely a part of that. And so let's say that you get through all that successfully and you get through the POC and you've gotten a successful, okay, cool. The idea has been validated. The execution has been validated. Presumably by this point, the team has also been validated. So you've met your three check boxes you mentioned earlier. You've got execution, you've got team, and you've got the actual solution itself. Now you say, I'm an angel investor and I'm going to throw some money into this. So what kind of return do angels get generally? What percentage of ownership do angels get? And I know there's probably a broad range to that answer, but just, you know, goalposts like, you know, the investor, somebody comes to you and says, uh, you know, I own 100% of my company and I'm looking for angel investment. What, how, how much do the angels generally get? What kind of return are they looking for? What are the, what are the numbers? I think if you're an angel, you should not be looking to get a return right away. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're investing in early stage companies that are pre-series A. For that, it's typically a fairly long game. You're looking mm-hmm. at maybe five to 10 years for a return. So whatever it is you invest, you have to be willing to part with that investment for some fairly long amount of time. And maybe you may not see that investment come back. Mm-hmm. But what you get out of it is you get the ability to influence Right and really help move along the process of new technology that might help with better security detection or better security response. So I think you have to look at that and be okay with that and realize that as an early stage investor, you're not going to see like a 10x return in one year. Because if that's what you want, I, I think you need to put that money in a mutual fund or something. Right. And even <laughs> okay. then you're not gonna get 10x, but you get something back in a year or two. Right. 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 So it, it's really hard to say. I would just be very, very careful as an angel investor in early stage not to have expectations about getting great returns right away. Has that happened where I invested in a company and there was a return within a fairly short time frame. Yeah, there was. But that was an acquisition that happened, mm. right? It wasn't like an IPO. Right. So if I want something that's going to give me like 50x, got to wait it out. Okay. So speaking of more numbers here, I'm thinking in terms of cost of entry. I've got a friend who is doing an angel round as we speak. And he reached out to me and said, minimum buy-in is 20K. That's what he's looking for. And then we had some conversations and I, I didn't bite. And he came back and told me now the minimum buy-in is 50K. Like, I guess things were going really well for him and he's upped his baseline. Is that a number that you've seen all over the map? Is there a fairly standard pattern to that? You know, is 20K normal, 50K normal? What what kind of, I, I've just got the one experience, right? Yeah, I, I think the range of initial investment is all over the map. Sometimes if you're able to provide a lot more value as an investor, like for example, if you're able to do design partnerships with the firm, then I think you can get a really, really good deal. And mm-hmm. you can get a larger stake in the equity for a smaller amount of investment. Okay. So you might be able to do that. If you're just going to be more of a passive investor, 
where you're putting your investment in, but you're not necessarily heavily involved in helping with the product direction or making referrals or, or things like that, then you might get less equity for what you invest in. I don't know that I would say 20K or 50K is a minimum. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's lower than that. But then I've also seen it minimum be like 100K, right? Oh, wow. So it depends on, on what the company is, is like. As you mentioned, sometimes if it's really hot and a lot of VCs are already talking to this company, then yeah, you're going to be putting in more and maybe the equity stake would be a little less. Everyone's assuming that pony's going to win the race. Right. And I will tell you that a lot of VCs cluster around the same companies because Uh I think it's a FOMO thing. It's like a fear of missing out. What if I don't invest in this and this is the next 50X company? Right, right. Yeah, I'm going through and thinking of friends of mine that are founders and, and various companies and clever solutions and it's always easy to look with hindsight, right? I can I can point to this company and say that really was a clever solution that solved a problem nobody else was solving. Of course they were successful, but I'm sure for every one of them there's 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 10 that were equally clever and and weren't, right? Right. And and I will emphasize that um it's not necessarily that you have to be the leader in the top right quadrant of the mm-hmm. Gartner map to be successful. I think the top 3 or 4 in the quadrant can all be successful. So my advice to early stage startup uh, people is don't worry about that so much. Uh, you don't have to be the, the only one. You can be the top three or four and there's enough room there for success. All right, let's pause right there for a quick word from our sponsor. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your teams time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. Not everyone may IPO. It may be acquisition, whatever, but you're going to have a successful exit if you're in the top four, right? Right. I remember at one point when UEBA, there were all these UEBA companies, and suddenly they all got snapped up by somebody bigger. Like, like within the span of a year, the top four were all snapped up, Right. And I think SOAR was kind of the same story. At one point, a bunch of them all got snapped up. Same, same kind of phenomenon. Right. And sometimes uh, world events drive these things too. Mm-hmm. Like before the pandemic, who knew that Zoom and all these other work-from-home productivity types of applications were going to be as successful as they are? But then once the pandemic hit and everybody had to work from home, this really changed the trajectory for some of these companies. And I'm assuming SASE and VPN and VDI also a major uptick as well. Yes. And, and other, other similar solutions. Yes. So there's another secret. Being in the right place at the right time. That's really hard to nail as a founder. But if right. you can, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm thinking back to, I was, uh, I was not a founder, but I was the first non-founder employee at a little startup years and years and years ago. 
And what we were doing, and we're talking all the way back in, I'm trying to think of the time period here, in 98, we were doing virtual education, streaming video, college class stuff. Nobody else was doing this. Nobody okay, was doing this. So like Khan Academy, before Khan Academy? Or? Yes, yes, all the way back in 98. Um, wow. It, it, it ended up not being the big booming thing we thought it would be because we were literally too, too ahead of ourselves. We were, we were ahead of our time by so much that, that getting people to understand it and buy into the paradigm, it just it wasn't there. The, the company is still around, succeeded, but after several pivots, um, it became a very different thing. But that, that initial, you know, we're a startup and we're going to go, go, go and grow, grow, grow. And we were just ahead of ourselves. We, we were, yeah. you know, right time, right place. It was the right place. It was the wrong time. Uh, and the yes. wrong time can be too early. You can be too innovative for the market is basically the lesson I learned from that one. That is a big lesson. And I'm sorry you had to learn that lesson, but it <laughs> happens a lot too. It, it, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it happens way more even than the stories I've heard, right? I think that's probably a pretty common one. And, and you know, that's, that's the, you know, the penalty of, of true innovation is, you know, getting everyone else to even see the vision, right? Absolutely. So let's switch gears. You talked about SVCI and you talked about private investment. And we've kind of walked through your stages and phases and we've talked about some of the numbers. Are there any critical differences between being part of this um, group versus flying solo as Kathy? You know, are there, what are the critical differences between those two? I would say being part of a syndicate means that you maybe don't have to invest as much up front mm-hmm. because there's 50 other people that are looking to also invest. And so it's easier to collectively also bargain with a startup founder about the terms of the investment Mm -hmm. because everyone finds great value in getting perspective from 50, 60 different CISOs, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's a lot of people that can tell you perspective on whether the product would be valuable. I know I get a, a lot of emails from vendors all the time about, hey, do you have 15 minutes to talk about a product? Imagine if you had a built-in set of 50 to 60 CISOs who can all talk to you. Right. And they're willing to because you're Mm -hmm. part of this SVCI funding vehicle. So I think it's really, really helpful. And that's why a lot of people do come to SVCI to pitch and to see if they can get funding. That said... A lot of companies deserve funding, but we're not able to fund everybody that comes through. Yeah. You know, you always wonder, looking at the different companies and founders, and, and I've, I've shared many of these same roles as you, but nowhere near the experience level you've got here. But thinking in terms of the, the good one that got away, you know, sometimes sometimes the ones you say no to are the ones that end up finding somebody that did buy in, right? And I've also been told as a, you know, from, from being on the on the startup side of the fence, you know, I've been told there are times that you will go through and talk to literally 50 VC firms and 49 will turn you down. And then that 50th one will get it. Somehow the fit is there. The the relationship seems right. Like all those three factors you talked about, the actual vision and the plan, the execution and the people. It's a similar story from the perspective of the startup looking at the investors. And I think there's some 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 people physics that has to be there. And 49 can turn you down, and the 50th one, for some reason, it just all clicks and it all works, and then you go on to be successful, right? Is, is, that, a, is that a model you've, you've seen from the founder's side? Not really. Really? And, <laughs> and the reason why is because all of the VCs talk, and so if you have pitched 
25 of them and they've said no, then the 26th one is going to be like, well, how come you haven't gotten any traction with the mm-hmm. other? And the other thing is, as part of due diligence, we do ask to talk to the VCs. You know, what, what brought you to funding this company? As part of that whole process, we end up talking to either existing customers or VCs or hearing from other VCs that maybe decided not to. So I would say there's a lot of talking in this yeah. industry, right? Yeah. And security is a very small, tightly knit industry. A lot of people know each other. And yeah. so I think it's really difficult to pitch to 30, not get anything. And right. then the 31st would be like, yeah, right? Because like, are they not doing due diligence? No, I, I will say this. The first time I ever heard that story of you'll try a bunch of them and, and, and you may fail and then eventually you'll find one that it works. That story, the first time I heard it was actually told to me by a VC, not by a, not by a founder. Uh, and I've heard the same story from another founder that it took forever, but we found one. Um, so that's really interesting. That's, um, th- but it makes perfect sense. I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to say those are both, even though I've heard it from both sides of the fence, I'm going to say that's an outlier scenario because you're right. CISOs all talk, you know? I mean, if there's a bogus product that hits the market, the CISOs know about it very quickly because we oh, all totally. talk with each other. Of course the investors are talking too. Yeah. You know, there's all it takes is one one Slack instance, and uh, you know, word word has gotten around, right? Right, and CISOs are in general a fairly paranoid bunch, right, and, right. and fairly cynical. Uh, I, I hate to say that about us, but we are kind of like that, mm-hmm. and that's because we've seen a lot, and you know, so we understand human psychology sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a really big radar for some of these things. That's fair. That's totally fair. And I don't, I don't want to name names, but I, I can think of a vendor <laughs> right now off the top of my head that if you go talk to 99 CISOs, you know, or, or talk to 100 CISOs and 99 of them will give you a negative opinion of this one particular vendor, and maybe the one won't. And that one is probably the one who's not on any of the CISO slacks. <laughs> right. So that's, uh, I get it. All right, so you've been on both sides of the fence. We've kind of been bouncing back and forth with some of these perspectives, and you've already shared some of this. But if you are a startup seeking investment, you who have been there, Kathy, on both sides of that fence, being the, being the founder, being the investor, what advice do you have for those who are seeking investment in their startup? I would say do your research, really understand your vision and your go-to-market strategy. How do you think you're going to sell this product and to who? So that means understanding your ideal customer profiles. Talk to a lot of different CISOs if you can. Really figure out, is the problem that you're looking to solve a real problem that needs to be solved? Or are you looking for a problem to solve, right? So sometimes people say that they're solving this problem, but when you talk to CISOs, the CISOs are like, I I don't really have this problem. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to have a misstep like that because if you do start that way, then you're going to have to be ready. And sometimes companies do that. They start with one idea and they pivot very quickly during a design partnership and say, hey, we're not going to focus on this we're going to do this instead based on the experience that we're getting here from this security team. Mm -hmm. This is the real problem for them. That's fine. But have that level of self-awareness 
so you know when to do that. Yeah. Don't feel like you have to grab onto this one thing and only do that. That's that's a recipe for failure. Don't keep clinging desperately to the same original vision. Be, be willing to let that vision flex. Yes. And, and to your point about an investment army of angels who are all CISOs themselves, you've got design partners intrinsically in the investment relationship. Leverage that. Take advantage of that. Get get that CISO input. Be willing to flex and adjust. That's that's Yeah, I like that. And I'm thinking through some of the success stories, founder friends of mine. I've got one friend who's a founder who's going through that very thing right now. Tons and tons and tons of new CISO input and, and calibrating as we speak the original vision. And I've seen friends get through that hurdle and be more successful because of it. And I don't think it's uncommon for the final output to be very different from the original input. Yeah, it's not uncommon. It happens more often than it seems. Because a lot of times when a company is successful with their vision, what we don't hear about is the five years or whatever it was that they spent pivoting around from one vision to another. They tend not to talk about that, but it's there. And some Mm -hmm. of the most successful security companies have had that kind of history. So it's it's pretty common. Okay. Okay. That's, yeah, that that was my gut feel on that. I'm glad you've got data to support that because that's that's encouraging because to me, I think the the statement you said was, uh, are are you really solving a real problem or are you looking for a problem to solve? Mm -hmm. If you're allowed that flexibility to pivot, then it's an almost guarantee that you're going to be solving a real problem. You're going to adjust and flex and fit and suddenly here's a square-shaped hole and you are now in fact a square-shaped peg and life is good, right? Yeah, and and you should be willing to work with other people. So that means seeking out CISOs who are looking to solve a certain problem, really talking to them to understand what their problem is. I think that's the most underrated skill set. It's a soft skill, but a lot of founders don't have that skill. And that's a factor for not succeeding. So my advice to those folks is start a podcast and you'll get all these marvelous guests like (laughs) Kathy and you'll make friends and you'll learn things and life will be good. I'm going to go ahead and issue our disclaimer one more time. Nobody on this show is a financial advisor or planner, and nothing said on this show constitutes financial advice. Opinions expressed on this show are just that, opinions, and you should not use them to conduct your financial affairs. Financial matters are tricky and nuanced, and you can lose every bit of money you invest. Consult a licensed expert instead of me or my guests here at the Cyber Ranch. All right. Well, this has been a phenomenal conversation. We're getting close to the end of the show here, and it is now uh, the beginning of January. This is going to be my first uh, show of January, not counting my 50th episode special. This will be the first uh, mainstream show here or normal show, whatever you want to call it. So I've come up with a new question uh, with the help of friends. I shouldn't say I came up with. I actually got this one from a friend. This is going to be our signature end of the show question. You will be the first one to answer it. So the question for you, Kathy, is what is something you learned from outside of cybersecurity that has helped you in cybersecurity? So there's two things. One is I have an engineering background. So by education, I'm an engineer. And the level of problem solving in electrical engineering has served me really well in solving security problems because it's critical thinking and it's being able to apply knowledge to be able to make it practical. So that's Mm -hmm. one thing. The Mm -hmm. other thing is human psychology. Interacting with different people, understanding how people think is a really, really big part of being a security professional. 
because then you get to figure stuff out like, hey, why do social engineering attacks still work? It's because fundamentally everybody wants to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Like very few people go out of their way to try not to help. Most people want to help and attackers know how to take advantage of that. The other thing is that people are inherently fairly lazy and they want to do the easiest thing possible. So from a security perspective, that means whatever mechanism you want them to utilize, it has to be the easiest option for them. Because if it's not, then they're just going to go around it and do something else that maybe you don't want them to do, but it's easier for them. So these kinds of lessons from human psychology can be applied across security pretty well. I like that. That's a fantastic pair of answers. That's, you know, the problem solving and the human nature components. And you mentioned this before, that soft skills are really a necessary component of being a successful founder. And you also mentioned leveraging real CISO experience, et cetera. So what you've really done with your career is you've culminated that engineering and that psychology component. And and here you are being successful with it. Um, and here you are really saying that founders need the same two sets of skills, really. Yes, absolutely. Every founder could benefit from those skills. That's fantastic. Well, listen, Kathy Wang, I want to thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>